What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, the week that was in Major League Baseball, breaking down the very early surprises, both positive and negative, from the season's first week. We're almost 10% of the way through the season. I'll take a look at a couple specific stats that might add some context to what we've seen, and why in some cases they're even more fraudulent than a small sample size should be. Then it's Thursday's plays in baseball, and basketball? What? Yeah, the NBA is back tonight. It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host, Matt Russell. We're going high energy, big pace with today's episode, Baseball Talk. Then we'll touch on the NBA's return tonight. I promised a review of Major League Baseball's first week, and I think what we're going to try to do is we're going to review Major League Baseball every Thursday. Don't hold me to it, but every Thursday, kind of treating it in weekly segments. Thursday's often kind of the lightest day, so it gives us an opportunity to kind of look back at the week that was. Um, and essentially, there's only going to be 12 of them. Um, don't do my, you know, don't double check my math there, but essentially, you know, 12 week type season. So we're going to kind of treat it like an NFL season in a bit of a, uh, in, a in that sort of way. Um, let's get into it. We're going to talk sort of about bad beats and sort of the record that we're kind of been working with over the course of this first week. And then we're going to get into some stats and not break down every team by any stretch of the imagination, but kind of look at um, predictive stuff and stuff that you might be surprised about. Um, from the start of this season and of course we'll have plays for Thursday as well so first things first looking back at the start of this season and I sort of have four things that I measure with regards to how I'm handicapping relative to my record right and the four things are coin flip games after seven innings right so games that are essentially you know basically tied after seven innings how many do I win how many do I lose I should in theory be winning and losing 50% on either side here right well unfortunately I'm one in three to start this season next thing I look at blown leads versus comebacks right how often do I do I get a comeback win how often do I get a blown lead uh, in theory, I should be at about 50% of a rate there, um, if not a little bit better, um, you know, ideally for comebacks. Uh, one and two so far this season. Uh, third thing, fading aces and having them leave the game and the game be tied after they've been removed from the game. So not necessarily late game. So the only circumstance where I've done this, where I've had this happen, fading Jacob deGrom in his first game against the Braves. He left after five innings. Uh, game was still scoreless. At that point, it's anybody's game, right? The pre-game price is meaningless. The Mets are no longer a minus 200, minus 230, whatever type favorite when Jacob deGrom leaves the game. I was 0-1. They ended up winning the game anyway, one nothing on a Jonas Cespedes home run, right? Could have just as easily been a Freddie Freeman home run for the Braves off of one of the Mets bullpen relievers. Fourth thing, totals bad beats, right? And I sort of hesitate to call bad beats bad beats in the context of the money line because teams are allowed to try to come back and win and of course you know you have to get those 27 outs so with apologies to the Blue Jays blowing 
a two-run lead with one out to go and nobody on in the ninth inning on Saturday against the Rays, you know, that's a tough one to swallow. And our win percentage was hella high at two outs in the bottom of the ninth. It's, it is a bad beat, but it's sort of a subcategory where I sort of look at bad beats as things where we had handicapped the game well, and then because the score might have gotten out of hand, we end up losing the bet, right? A circumstance where the teams don't even really realize that they're affecting a bet. And those happen with totals, and those happen with sort of high-level point spreads where, you know, you get a backdoor cover in football, you get a backdoor cover in basketball, and it doesn't affect the outcome of the game. The team doesn't even really know that they, you know, that last basket really mattered, uh, that last free throw, that last field goal, the, you know, guy who breaks the run on, you know, fourth down, and instead of, you know, sliding to the ground, he takes it to the end zone to sort of tack on an extra seven points. You know, the, that's the type of thing, that's bad beat zone right there because you had that game, you know, pegged, you, you know, you had it analyzed and you should have got home with a very good bet there and you didn't because of odd circumstance. And of course, what I'm sort of referring to here is this Friday night game, San Diego and Arizona, uh, you know, Super low scoring, low base runner game the entire way. San Diego takes a big lead. Uh, we had under nine and a half, I believe it was. I believe the number, uh, it was seven to two going into the bottom of the ninth, uh, excuse me, top of the ninth. And of course, for one, instead of getting your cl the closer to come in and close it, we now have to deal with sort of a second tier pitcher. But I can't even get mad at the second tier pitcher because the result of the inning was out swinging bunt single, you know, sort of little chopper to third base type deal. Defensive indifference gets the guy to second, a second out. So now we've got two out with runner on second. And then this like jam job sawed off Texas leaguer into the outfield to score the meaningless run to make the game go over. And of course that was it, right? 7-3, both teams, you know, didn't even realize what they had done, so to speak. So I'm 0-1 there. So altogether, I'm right now I'm 2-7 when it comes to those results, right? And you don't necessarily have to be 500 in betting baseball uh, when you've got a bunch of plus money stuff out there. But five games under 500 is, you know, our is not ideal we'd like to get this thing closer to 500 especially given how often we're kind of taking larger underdogs in this restart so you know something along the lines of 14 and 21 looks a lot different if you know two and seven in 50 50 propositions you know doesn't come up um, some of our best stuff was taking teams like Baltimore. We figured out Boston pretty much right off the bat. Uh, really impressed. Was ready to pat myself on the back with San Diego until they blew a 6-2 lead last night against San Francisco. I went full Alonzo morning gif, though, when I found that out this morning. Uh, when, you know, the sort of, uh, and then, oh, okay. When I remembered that I do have the Giants over for this season. Certainly a small consolation, um, considering I do have obviously over for San Diego and division, uh, you know, long shot futures and of course National League long shot futures. So you know, it's sort of 
feels weird to kind of sweat each game by a win total in baseball. But again, you know, I don't know if you've heard, but there's only 60 games in this schedule. So we got to get wins where we can get them. And 6-2 against the Giants certainly seems like a game that we should have got got. Um, let's take a quick look at some of the stats that have piled up, not exactly piled up over the course of what, five or six games, um, over a week's time here. So I talked about how I'm really measuring a lot of these teams by their bullpen because starters aren't going as deep and, you know, short season, that sort of thing. You're going to have some scenarios where you just have a full bullpen type of a game. And I want to be betting on teams that have good bullpens. That said, year to year, that can shift awfully quickly, right? If one team's closer, you know, which is the sort of most volatile position in all of baseball, if that guy just falls right off, then, you know, you're in really big trouble, big picture from a bullpen standpoint, right? So I look at war right now and I'm looking at XFIP right now and Tampa Bay leads in both categories. So that's obviously a team that's getting it done with their bullpen. Add in the fact that they have three to four stud starting pitchers, that team's just going to be a really big problem. And I think a team that we could be looking at maybe adding to um, our portfolio with regards to an AL East type of bet Um, And I'm certainly looking forward to them playing the Yankees here, right? Like the Yankees couldn't have had sort of a better setup as they've taken on the Nationals who have started really slow, especially offensively. And then now have, (laughs) now they're randomly playing Baltimore, which I, you know, again, Major League Baseball keeps just making it up as they go, just rescheduling series and moving stuff around um, to a degree that, of course, is the key word unprecedented. So Tampa Bay is the best bullpen so far. Pittsburgh has shown up on the war category. That is a little bit fraudulent because of how often Pittsburgh bullpen has had to been used and the comebacks and late game, you know, either close or actually pulling off wins that they've pulled off, right? If you have to pitch six innings and you get into an 8-6 type of a game and you win that game, you're obviously going to get credit for that win, you know, pretty significantly there. And once you do that, and we're only talking about five games here, that's going to heavily weight your numbers. So all of these numbers are to be taken with a grain of salt, right? Dodgers bullpen right now, uh, fourth in in XFIP, third in war, really uh, looking pretty good in that case. Surprised to see Colorado and it's not just their bullpen, fourth in war for their bullpen, seventh in war f- or in XFIP for their bullpen, but also first in the league in ERA, which I think is by far sort of the more surprising thing. And a team like Texas, who they also played in that first series, and who knows sort of, you know, what that the mood of that first series being a relatively close and low scoring series, how that, you know, will bear out over the course of a long period of time here but that's two teams that we sort of look at and go huh like kind of worried about their pitching more often than not uh with those two teams now of course colorado has yet to play at home so just the just the facts that you know colorado hasn't played at home yet texas's ballpark certainly might be more of a pitcher's ballpark than their previous one. It would be hard not to be more of a, a pitcher's ballpark than uh, their old stadium was, which is a bit of a bandbox. So, you know, grain of salting sort of both those teams' success. Uh, Oakland, Houston, Cleveland, San Diego, all teams whose bullpens have, have 
succeeded both from a war and xfip standpoint so far this season um you know so those teams at least you can rely on them should the starting pitching matchup go awry right uh one other sort of stat as it pertains to the bullpen it's and it's less it's a bullpen stat but it sort of talks more about the starting pitchers in a way um but it's how often the reliever came in with the team had the lead right so obviously the starting pitching uh, starting pitching being good uh affects that right not entirely because a relief pitcher could come in from another for another relief pitcher but teams essentially that have leads throughout the game who are constantly rotating their bullpen in with the lead and the maybe it's a surprise maybe it isn't for blue jays fans but the blue jays have had the most relievers come in with the lead and that makes a ton of sense because the blue jays pitchers have starting pitchers have been so good um and it makes a ton of sense sort of retroactively when you look at their record and it's only three and three despite the fact that they've led the league in sort of having the lead when changing pitchers because their bullpen has been very, very terrible up to, up until this point. A little bit better sort of through the middle innings in last night's game that they had to take that game two extra innings uh, after five innings from Nate Pearson. By the way, Pearson and Scherzer, exactly how we expected them to go yesterday with Scherzer uh, dominating the young team, uh, the young Blue Jays lineup, and the youngster for Toronto who everybody's, you know, really, really excited about um, taking advantage of the Nats who have struggled to hit and continue to do so yesterday, obviously going scoreless through nine innings um, and getting a couple of lucky breaks in the 10th to get the win there, uh, including the three-run triple to sort of blow it open. Um, so, yeah, so you got the Blue Jays who are, you know, taking leads early and then uh, in half the cases giving them up. And then sometimes in sort of really dramatic, really depressing fashion when you look at Saturday's game and last night's game. Uh, San Diego and Houston also carrying leads a lot. The Mets carrying leads a lot. And the Chicago Cubs carrying leads a lot. And so the interesting thing with Chicago is they're in the bottom five in bullpen to start this season. And part of that, of course, is Craig Kimbrell struggled a considerable amount. Uh, giving up a ton of runs to Cincinnati late in that game on days are all blending together. Tuesday, I think it was. Maybe it was Monday. might have been Monday. And, you know, almost blowing a 9 nothing lead. Well, in, if we're taking a five-game sample size and you have a day where you give up eight runs, that's going to really skew your stats there, right? So we're not necessarily writing off Chicago from that standpoint. But when you look at their average, their batting average and balls in play metric, they're the luckiest team so far in the league, right? And Washington, St. Louis, Detroit, and Miami sort of fall in line behind that. And interesting enough, in sixth and seventh is Colorado and Texas, who I again just mentioned, you know, having played uh, in a series that was pretty interesting, pretty close games across the board. And so you go, okay, I'm not necessarily ready to buy into Chicago uh, as a team that we were sort of looking to fade at the start of the season and sort of we're going to continue looking to do that um, until we see better numbers from their bullpen, more reliable closing, of course. And we think that that sort of luck metric in batting average and balls and play, Babbitt, sort of comes down a little bit. On the flip side, the sort of unluckiest teams, Seattle mm, might just be bad. Houston, 
that's probably a legitimate point. And Baltimore as the least lucky team in the entire league. Now you could say, and it would be a reasonable thing to say, that team just might be bad and, you know, they might not be, you know, (laughs) their pitchers might be giving up rockets around the field. And so, yeah, the batting average with balls in play is going to be really high for the other team if your pitchers are so bad that they're consistently giving up line drives, right? So if this continued to the end of the season and Baltimore was still the least lucky team, I think we would attribute that more to them just sucking versus them actually being unlucky, right? Like it would be quite ironic if the sort of alleged worst team in the league is also the least lucky. Like that would be really, really sort of surprising, right? Because it doesn't take, you know, being good or bad to be lucky, right? The saying notwithstanding. And in this case, if Baltimore... They would prefer to be lucky than good because they're certainly not very good. Though, decent decent start, especially with a win against Boston to start the, ser- um, the season with a 2-1 series win over Boston. Um, speaking of Boston, by the way, of course they beat the Mets with DeGrom. That would be the thing that Boston would do given the fact that they've looked so bad over the course of the first four games this year. We're going to be back on the train with fading them dodged something of a bullet i suppose um though you know backing to grom at minus 200 minus 230 it's just not something they were going to do and it's not de grom's fault it's entirely this weird voodoo situation that the mets have going where they just can't win games that he starts in so um really just anecdotally funny that boston won that game last night uh but speaking of fades let's take a look at the uh at the board tonight and so where we're going to start here is uh actually we're going to start with the blue jays and this is sort of a game that i was kind of going to avoid um but i'm actually not just leaning but i'm going to take the blue jays in the first five innings minus 145 and that's a bet on ryu and nobody else for the Blue Jays, right? I can't take the Blue Jays' full game with the way their pen has performed. And I'm not looking to back the Nats, as I don't necessarily trust Fetty. I'm not looking to take a under full game, because as I talked about with Ted Ballantyne on Wednesday, I just think full game unders are impossible bets at this point. Sure, a ton of them will win. We see them every night, but like... You know, if you've been betting for a long time, you know that betting unders can be painful in any sport at any time, but especially when you have this extra inning setup where, you know, I don't know what the number, the average number of runs is going to be when we get to the end of the season here uh, in just extra innings, but like you, I wouldn't be surprised if it ended up being like close to like three, right? You had four in the Nationals Blue Jays game. There was a ton in the A's game. Or I guess it was four in the A's game. Maybe even more than that if the... don't remember if the Angels uh, had taken the lead there over the weekend when they, uh, the, the A's got the walk-off grand slam in extra innings. I mean, that's painful in and of itself. And then you had the... You know, nobody scored necessarily until the 13th last night, but you had the Dodgers and Houston going 13 innings. And that could have happened just as easily by going sort of two runs each inning, one for each team, as it did you know, going scoreless. It was kind of wild that it went scoreless and annoying when you're watching two teams just refuse to move a runner over to third base. 
you know, to try to get a run. I know it's obviously more of a play that the Astros should have done. And in a way, obviously, I'm glad they didn't because they probably would have won the game if they did. Um, but even watching the Dodgers, especially in the 11th or 12th inning, just refuse to do it um, to even just try to get that run in, given that, you know, the way the sort of pace of that game was going with, you know, neither team scoring. Uh, just driving me nuts. But eventually the Dodgers get the home run, which was great because, of course, we were on the Dodgers yesterday at a pretty big price, which always sucks when you have that minus 130, minus 140, something along those lines going into extra innings. And you're like, you kind of really feel like you need to be bailed out in that circumstance because you didn't necessarily make a great bet relative to, you know, what obviously the live number would have been in that game. So let's grab the Blue Jays in the first five, minus 145, a better price than minus 150. So we're getting a discount um, despite the fact that we don't have to deal with the Blue Jays bullpen. And that's great. Uh, next up, the Cubs and the Reds. Going to go back to the fading of the Cubs and fading you, Darvish, here. Uh, with the Reds, you know, maybe the bats are coming alive a little bit. I'm still sort of you know, trepidatious about the Reds, but with Castillo on the mound, he's sort of my favorite guy on that Reds staff, uh, and uh, I'll take a shot with them at minus 110 um, or minus 115, I'm seeing as well. Uh, that might be the only option for you out there. Minus 115 is still good enough for me. Yankees and Orioles I'm going to stay away from. I mean, just too much variance with the Orioles right now. I mean, would I be stunned if they somehow won that game, if Jay Happ had a bad start? No, I wouldn't. Um, ten and a half, obviously, the total juiced up because it's certainly possible the Orioles give up a billion runs. Um, but it's also possible that J-Hap shuts them down and you could be looking at like a 9 nothing, 10 nothing type game, something along those lines. Uh, Boston, like I said, we're going to go back to the fading there. Mats, minus 150 over Perez. Um, again, that minus 150 is sort of the brink to which we would sort of mess with that. Um, but what we've seen so far from Martin Perez hasn't been very good. Again, just one start, but it was against Baltimore. I'd expect the Mets to be able to knock him around a little bit better uh, than even Baltimore was. Uh, Cleveland and Minnesota. Minnesota such an interesting team. You know, watching them win a bunch of games here, and I go, how did I not get anything preseason on them, right? Like, to me, maybe they're an interesting AL league play. Um, you know, heavily juiced to win their division, heavily juiced to go over their number, so I stayed away on both counts. Uh, that being said, their pitching hasn't been great. And in part, it hasn't been great, maybe because they've had big leads in a handful of these games. And it hasn't really been, you know, sort of a, you know, getting serious type of time here. And they've just kind of had a lot of their middle uh, quality guys pitching and sort of putting up some runs here or allowing the other team, of course, to put up some runs. Uh, I don't think that'll be the case here with Bieber, the Biebs on the mound, Shane Bieber on the mound for Cleveland. He's a small underdog because, again, the Twins have looked so good so far, uh, you know, obviously getting a ton of homers as they normally do. Um, but we're going to take a shot here with the Indians plus 105. And then we're going to take a shot with the Royals. And this is really just an Ivan Nova fade. I didn't even, I can't believe he's still in the league. But again, if you're with the Tigers, are you still even in the league. I say that, and the Tigers are above 500, unbelievably, um, but I think we could, safe to say that they won't be at the end of the season, and anytime we can kind of get 
a number against the Tigers that is under 150 when I think we have the better starting pitcher as well. I think there's a couple of cents of value there. Um, So minus 135, certainly worth a play on Kansas City, a team that I think is going to be better than Detroit in the long run anyway. Tampa Bay and the Braves. Uh, This number feels a little high. Tampa Bay plus 125 for me. Um, I'll take that. I have that sort of closer to an even money plus 105 type of thing. Yarborough uh, looked good against the Jays in his first start. Um, I'll take my chances against uh, the Braves here. Um, you know, even though it's on the road, uh, I think it might have been before last night. The stat 27 27 is the home road split. Um, and betting the road team, obviously, the more maybe it's not obvious, but uh, not probably not surprisingly, uh, the better option over the course of the first 54 games because the road team often the underdog at this point. And again, the 27 and 27 would sort of show that. Clearly doesn't seem to matter who the home team is, if it ever really did in baseball, certainly with no fans and not much in the way of an atmosphere, it's only going to lessen the importance there. Uh, Big game of the night for me, Dodgers and Diamondbacks. Obviously, I've had, uh, you know, high on the Diamondbacks coming into the season. They, you know, almost probably should have gotten swept by the Padres. Um, Pulled one out on Sunday night, yet another one that was a coin flip game late, and we had, you know, the Padres closer in and he blows the game for the Padres the Diamondbacks you know salvage one there um you know Diamondbacks had the lead last night against the Rangers uh I'll take the Diamondbacks plus 130 Robbie Ray lefty um going against that Dodgers lineup that struggled against lefties last year of course Mookie Betts's involvement is probably going to make that sort of a um, stat of the old uh Padres and Dodgers uh, nothing for me there. Again, lamenting the Padres' loss last night at 175 with Lamette. Not uh, not something I'm going to mess with there. Uh, total down to eight. I mean, I suppose you could make the case uh, for the over in that one. If I decide to add that, I will tweet that out again at mrussauthentic. Uh, Seattle and LA is my last thing, and I had a lot to say about LA earlier this week. Couldn't have had worse at bats, essentially. Uh, against the Athletics in a game that they probably should have had an early, they definitely should have had an early lead in. Um, And then, of course, you know, I would like to think probably at that point would have won. But again, who knows, late innings type stuff. That game was scoreless through six. The A's get three runs and win that three nothing when the Angels had more than their fair share of opportunities. Even first inning, leadoff double, and now you've got your big guys up and every single one of them strikes out against, you know, the A's pitcher Bassett, who's essentially, you know, I hate to sort of call him names here, but he's essentially a junk baller and incredibly bad at bats for, from guys like Otani, Trout. Um, Upton was a disaster both at, at the plate and on the bases. They had one inning where they got thrown out twice at home. So this Angels team at minus 210 is just too high. That being said, uh, plus 175, 180, something along those lines for the Mariners is not quite enough for a team that I think is uh, is going to struggle and, and has struggled to the point this season. If we were getting, you know, 190, closer to 200, you could then talk me into it, especially with the Angels and Dylan Bundy. So that's it for the baseball side of things. I think I've covered everything that I want to cover from that standpoint. And now we'll shift gears here to a little upstart league that I don't know if you've necessarily heard of, but we're going to start handicapping 
watching it because it's new and you know not a ton of people talk about it. it's the national basketball association the nba is back tonight everybody people are fired up because they are getting right into playoff time wait what's that it's not playoff time oh it's more it's just more regular season oh it's like two or three games just to get to no oh it's eight games eight games of the regular season okay so we're doing eight games of a regular season where most of the seeding has already been established okay fair enough so we're not going to take this too seriously we're not going to go too ham here on the bets i do have two plays tonight from a side standpoint give me new orleans minus the two and a half here and give me the Clippers plus four and a half. And I'll go in reverse order here. Clippers four and a half. That number was one for much of the off season or sort of the restart pandemic season. Now it's four and a half. I'll just take the four and a half and, and take my chances in the game. That would you be stunned if the Clippers won? I wouldn't be stunned if the Clippers won that game. So we'll take the four and a half. You know, I realize NBA games are less likely to kind of come within that number at the end. Um, but again, you never know. Super small bet. The other one, the sort of more interesting one that sort of segues me into a sort of larger discussion about what we're dealing with here is New Orleans minus two and a half. And, you know, I'm, I've literally said before, don't bother looking at the standings to handicap games because you're not going to learn anything that, you know, everybody doesn't already know. Well, in this case, at least for the start, we are going to have to kind of look at the standings here because I think it speaks to motivation for different teams. And what we've got here is essentially a seven-team tournament in the West, six-team tournament in the West, that uh, where they're going to be playing for that last spot, right? Like Memphis is essentially defending the belt with a two-and-a-half, three-and-a-half game lead over three teams and then a little bit larger over the other two. And they're looking sort of behind them. Uh, in the driver's seat there and going, okay, these teams are trying to catch us. And so all those teams that are below them are playing do or die basketball, which is, you know, pretty similar to the NHL's restart where everybody's playing do or die hockey in, you know, they're in the series. Uh, but then you've got these other sort of round robin games that aren't do or die, but at least they aren't mixing, right? They've mixed in the pre, you know, their exhibition game, but they're not mixing when it actually matters. Well, these games are actually being mixed when they actually matter. So if you're in New Orleans and you're trying, you're three and a half games behind Memphis and you've got to make that up in eight games, you're going to be, you should be ready to go balls out here once the, once the, the tip-off goes here against Utah. Meanwhile, Utah is sort of sitting in this like murky middle where they're probably not going to catch the Clippers for the two seed. And then the three through seven is all this kind of jumble where as long as you're not the seven you avoid one of the LA teams, probably the Clippers. And maybe the Clippers get caught by Denver because they're only one and a half a day, right? So there's not a ton that you can control from a standing standpoint if you're Utah, right? And maybe you will once you kind of get with two, one or two games left, but certainly not at the start. So this is very much potentially an exhibition type feel still for Utah, Whereas it should be a playoff type feel for New Orleans. Never mind the fact that there's a, at least a decent chance New Orleans and Utah aren't that much different when it comes to quality of team, especially with Zion in the mix for New Orleans, right? Of course, obviously the standings is built a lot on Zion not being there. So 
And that's obviously why New Orleans is favored. I get that. And again, in an N, you know NBA where it so frequently comes down to that last, you know, the, the scores very rarely la- land, you know, inside of two, three, four points. Even a close game can sort of escalate to an eight or ten point win at the end. I'll take my chances here with New Orleans minus the two and a half. And we'll talk about this more on Friday's podcast, but we're going to have to do a lot of this Western Conference handicapping based on this idea. And we'll also have to pull the shoot on it if if it doesn't start well uh, over the course of this weekend. So it's going to be a really interesting weekend to kind of suss out what, you know, how we're actually defining these teams with their intensity levels um, in, you know, game to game basis. Right. So like how much, you know, maybe the Lakers and Clippers game is intense because it is a Lakers and Clippers game. But, you know, let's say the Lakers win tonight. How much are they really going to care the next game against Toronto? Whereas Toronto is, you know, really just a few wins away from kind of defending the second seed, which is really only important because of the potential of Philadelphia to be the sixth seed. Right. Because, again, I talked about this with Ted, the seeding doesn't matter with regards to home court. Right. You used to want the four seed so that you'd have, you know, a game, a deciding game on your court. You'd want the one seed over the two seed if you're L.A. because you want home court in the Western Conference Finals. Same thing with Milwaukee. Now, Milwaukee's fine. They're going to be the one seed. And that sucks for them because it doesn't really do anything for them. Right. You've heard that in mainstream media t- talk about the NBA and that the Bucks are getting screwed um, the most here because they have worked so hard to get home court throughout the playoffs and it is no longer that circumstance. So, you know, on a game-to-game basis, like how much do these teams care? And sometimes it might be matchup related and sometimes it, you know, on the flip side, they might not care because of the matchup. So in this case, we'll take, this will be our sort of first try here and we'll keep track of it. But you know, the outside looking in versus the sort of, you know, fat and happy, comfortable to be at least, you know, in the mix type of games. So give me New Orleans minus two and a half. Now you might be saying, hey, this is short shrift here. Why aren't we getting a full like mega NBA restart preview? You did it for baseball. You did it for hockey. What's up? Well, the answer is baseball had a season start. It wasn't a restart. It had a bunch of different futures options that were interesting, win totals, that sort of thing. And there, of course, there's uncertainty, but at least there isn't the sort of added uncertainty of being in the middle of a season and have standings that have already been created. On the hockey side of things, of course, we're starting right off with playoffs and we've got series and we've got all of this, you know, extra intrigue. And, you know, congratulations to the NHL for deciding to do it that way so that people are more locked in right from the jump, right? And the NBA decided literally from the jump that we're not going to need to care about this for a few weeks. And sure, maybe that helps the players get acclimated, but basketball players are, I would make the case, the easiest acclimated of any sport. So kind of a pointless exercise there. And so because of that, we only have a couple of futures markets really. Right. Like, you know, somewhere you'll find, I suppose, um, win totals and that sort of thing. But again, you might as well in an eight game sort of win total scenario, you might as well go game to game. At least that way you're not committed to anything uh, overly aggressively. And so when you look at it, you're like, okay, we have NBA finals and we have NBA conference, um, you know, finals 
uh, futures. And, you know, you've heard me talk about, you know, why would we ever bother betting a team to win a championship when we can bet the team to make it to the championship at usually about half the price, knowing full well that we would probably talk ourselves into some sort of wild hedge situation should our team make the, you know, NBA finals, for an example. So for a specific example, I mean, why would we ever do this when we can wait until the playoffs actually have seeds and series matchups and a bracket, essentially, right? Because if you look at, for instance, the Western Conference, you got the Lakers and Clippers up top and barring some sort of injury or really unfortunate COVID positive, you're going to have the Lakers and Clippers at the top and it's not going to really matter what happens between now and the playoffs. Nothing's going to change that, right? So... Then you've got the third best bet, according to these odds, that just happens to be sitting right now in sixth place, right? So the Houston Rockets are in sixth place right now, but they're the third highest uh, probability of winning the Western Conference at plus 650. So what's going to happen for the Rockets that's going to make that a better bet? Like that they move up to the three seed? Like the three seed could get them the same matchup that the sixth seed is getting them right now. And because there's no home court, what difference does that make, right? So they could go up to three, the three could fall to six, and we might have the same matchup anyway. So what's going to happen between now and then that the Rockets are going to get better odds that we should have locked down this plus 650 right now? And that's before you get into the likelihood of James Harden just leaving the bubble to go to a strip club. No offense, James Harden. And then you got Nuggets, Jazz, Mavericks, who are all sort of in the 11 to 1, 18 to 1 type zone. Like nothing's going to happen for them that's going to improve those odds astronomically that we're going to be sitting there going like, oh, I really wish I grabbed that Mavericks 18 to 1. Like how high are they going to go? 15 to 1 maybe? I can't see it going any better than that. Um, and that's only if they, I mean, I suppose you could make the case it gets to 11 to 1 if they hop into the sixth seed and avoid an LA team in the first round. Okay, sure, maybe you could talk yourself into a Mavericks bet. And then you got Thunder, Pelicans, Trailblazers, Grizzlies, Spurs, and Sacramento, and the Suns. And the only team in that group that is worth looking at because they could drastically change their fortunes and their perception is the Portland Trailblazers, right? That's a team that is now fully healthy, right? Great benefit from the shutdown is that they get Nurkic back. Uh, you know, Carmelo actually seemed pretty decent. And so this is a team that hasn't really been together in their current formation all season long. Now, the bad news for them is that they're, what, three and a half games behind Memphis. So... They got a long way to go to make the playoffs, and that's why on at Pinnacle, they're 80 to 1. Now, again, it's 80 to 1, so the good news is you don't have to put too much of a initial investment in. $10 for 800 that sounds like fun, right? Half unit for you $20 betters out there. So... You know, and if they don't, okay, you lost a half unit, okay, not a big deal. But if they do, if they do make the playoffs... Where does that number end up going, right? Doesn't, you know, obviously they will have shown out enough, probably put together a seven and one, six and two, you know, at, at you know, sort of worst record to get into that playoff spot. And so you're looking at that going, okay, that they might be 20 to one, 
And also maybe that's factored in. Maybe they're four to one just even to make the playoffs. And so, you know, all this sort of makes sense, right? If you make a four to one bet now and then you take that money and you make a 20 to one bet now, okay, I get it that 80 to one, that sort of makes sense. So you have to determine, of course, whether you think that they're four to one right now and that the number will be 21. But that's a ton of math stuff for, you know, if you wanted to go deeper dive, right? You can figure that out on your own. But the point is they're the only team that can have a drastic change in price with a relatively limited run that they need to do here to change that price, right? And I know their schedule is a little bit difficult, but again, we don't really know what difficult schedule means when we're looking at different teams and their motivations, right? Does a game against the Lakers mean all that much to them by the time that game gets played? So if the Blazers could get a win against, you know, a Memphis team, and you know how much does that change for their for their outlook right as they sit three and a half behind memphis all it takes is a win against memphis and all of a sudden you know obviously that's a full game swing two and a half and we've really got something here well guess who plays against each other first game off it's portland and memphis we're already going come friday and we'll talk about that game for friday's podcast but again if you are sort of following this line of you know questioning so to speak why wouldn't we take portland here take them to beat memphis and maybe just maybe we've got them two and a half games back of memphis with seven to go and things get a lot more interesting at that point right maybe memphis gets a little tight the rest of the way so as far as the eastern conference is concerned literally nothing to talk about there I mean, there isn't anything that anybody can do, I don't think, that is going to drastically change their number. Um, the market has sort of figured out that the Raptors are probably the second most likely team to make the Eastern, um, to win the Eastern Conference. Uh, and the 76ers, despite being in the sixth seed right now, are like the Rockets. Their number has been moved up to the fourth, you know, most likely chance. Uh, and there isn't anything in the underdog department that you're going to get all excited about. Brooklyn doesn't seem like they're going to have anything going for them. And the Wizards are literally just there for show. I don't even understand how that's even possible that they're even involved. Um, and, you know, Magic, Pacers, whatever. So, you know, even the Heat at plus 900 seems a little aggressive. So, um, yeah, like I, there's just not a ton there for the NBA to kind of work with and why and, you know, thus not really giving me any reason to do some sort of elaborate hour long preview show. That means, though, we do get to do one eventually, you know, two and a half weeks from now when they do have a bunch of um, series set up. So that will be kind of a nice thing that we can at least do so that we're not doing, you know, three full league previews in one week. Um, as far as the totals in each game, these are going to be worth keeping an eye on. <clears throat> Talked about the totals with Preston Johnson when he was on our show. And I had sort of suggested, hey, like there seems to be a narrative right now that with this restart, the overs are going to be more prevalent because it'll be similar to the way the games are played at the start of the season or coming in and out of the all-star break where defensive intensity isn't exactly there and both teams at least sort of have a offensive mind and motivation and he said you know he was sort of saying yes but because of that you know that might be inflated and we might be having to look at unders here because as much as sort of shooting percentages and offensive 
um, metrics and stuff are sort of important big picture, they can also be sort of short term stuff. And it's more important to take a look at pace, right? Possessions per game, per quarter, per half are more important when it comes to kind of trying to be predictive about totals. And, but we don't know. We don't know what that's going to mean for this bubble environment, right? Are the teams going to be playing faster pace? I don't know that there was anything that we learned from the scrimmages where, you know, the starters weren't in very, you know, nearly as much as they will become, uh, you know, come this restart. And, you know, so, you know, will there be a slower pace because it'll be tougher for teams to get into their offense because, you know, maybe they're not quite up to speed. Um, you know, I don't know. There's a lot to sort of watch for there. Um, so not enough for me to decide one way or another before we even get going here, but I definitely want to look at tonight's games and then tomorrow night's games and sort of see if anything has sort of worked itself out with regards to pace, right? Possible um, angles that we can get because pace is high or pace is low. So we'll be back tomorrow with gameplays for uh, Friday night's games for the NBA. We'll be back with, of course, NHL stuff this weekend. We get a rare chance that lines are up for Sunday, so we'll have um, Saturday games, Sunday games to talk to, uh, talk to about. Uh, and we'll review the principles of the wheel. If you caught that episode, our silly sort of no-brainer, um, how do you bet the games if you don't really want to handicap them, you don't want to believe in sort of my handicapping methods, but you do want some action um, it's sort of the system, three-part system. We'll get into it tomorrow. And we'll recap the best bets for the series, right? Essentially, you know, again, try to check out the NHL preview pod. Um, if you don't want to know how I came up with what I came up with and you just want the best bets, uh, I'll give them out tomorrow. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's it. We'll, uh, you know, maybe we'll talk about some golf uh, who knows what will come up this weekend. At the end of the day, listen, follow the Twitter feed, at uh, Authentic on Twitter. That's where I'll post baseball plays. We've got live golf plays that I will be posting like I did last weekend, trying to get better at that. So follow along. I'm again at Authentic on Twitter. Please subscribe, rate, review the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Until next time, I'll see you at the window.